Hi, I'm Pastor Adam, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story, and we hope that this sermon will guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org for more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Thanks be to God, indeed. Let us pray. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning, as we celebrate and remember the first Sunday of Lent, we are entering into a new series And we've entitled it, We've Got Questions. But what we'll be exploring in these next weeks leading to Easter are actually questions that Jesus asked in John's gospel. And so this morning, we begin with the very first words that Jesus speaks in John's gospel. He says, what are you looking for? Other translations say, what do you seek? What do you want? What are you after? Just the depth of that simple assertion should give us something to reflect upon this morning. What are you looking for? What do you seek? What do you want? What are you after? These words are not only for the men Jesus turns to see following him, Andrew, and another unnamed disciple, but for every person who has ever come across these words. And that, of course, includes us today. So as we begin our Lenten journey this week, I think this question is a perfect companion as we journey toward the cross and toward the empty tomb. And as we stick close to the text this morning, I want you to find yourself in this story. What are you looking for? What do you seek? What do you want? And what happens in response to Jesus' question are four varying encounters of how the disciples come to follow Jesus. Put another way, how the disciples come to answer this question for themselves. And the fact that our gospel writer includes four stories of response affirms that this is not a one-size-fits-all discipleship. There is not one right way to encounter or to be encountered by Jesus. There is not one right way, but many paths. And for any of us who find a little discomfort in this truth, that's okay because process and protocols and step-by-step instructions, they make us feel a sense of security and safety. But Jesus isn't secure or safe. And we'll discover that in these next 40 days. Jesus is dangerous. Mobs are after him. He's breaking the rules. He heals on the Sabbath. Jesus makes it clear through his ministry and his death and resurrection that he is not here to please us or to play by our rules, but to save us, to restore our souls and to bring us to new life and to be the answer to his own question. What are you looking for? He first asks this of Andrew and another disciple who are actually John the Baptist's disciples. And they've been with John, but 
As Jesus walks by, John, their rabbi, their teacher, confesses and testifies, here is the Lamb of God. And so based on John's words, they leave him and follow Jesus. And Jesus knows they're following him, and he turns and he speaks these words, the first words. What are you looking for? But they reply not with a statement, but with another question. Rabbi, where are you staying? And in my mind, I think this might be kind of a stalling tactic, but also a conversation, a back and forth, because perhaps they don't know exactly what they want. Perhaps we don't know exactly what we're looking for, but we know that they want more than a rabbi, more than a guide. If they were satisfied with that, why not stay with John? Something within them says there's more. What if this man is who John claims he is, the Lamb of God? All they know now is they want to be where Jesus is. They want to be in his presence. And Jesus returns their words not with a street address, but with an invitation and a promise. I want you to remember that, with an invitation and a promise. Jesus says, come and see. Come. An invitation to journey with him, not a condition, no ifs and thens, but an invitation. And see. To witness and experience for themselves who Jesus is and what he does indeed have to offer them. And we don't know what happens for the rest of the day, but we do know that Andrew goes in response to the time he spent with Jesus, he goes immediately to tell his brother Simon. And he tells Simon, we found the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one. And these are good Jewish men. So the concept of the Messiah was something they longed for, that they sought after the one who would come and lead, save them from the oppression and powerlessness they faced as Jews living under foreign rule for centuries. They were people plugging along in a world fraught with the mundane and the struggles of everyday life. The pressure of provision and family life, but also the real fear of violence that constantly loomed under Roman rule. The realities of illness and suffering were manifest everywhere, constantly reminding them of the fragility of their own lives. These were ordinary men who worked hard, had families, and who at the same time sought something more, who knew their souls longed for something more. To be pulled from the waters of life that were drowning them, to be given meaning and a purpose, it was that need and that emptiness within them that made them open to Jesus' question, what do you seek? So when Andrew goes to Simon and he says, we found the Messiah, Simon goes himself. He responds to the invitation and he sees, he witnesses the promise of who Jesus is for himself. And the answer to what Simon is seeking is more immediate than the others. Right there on the spot, there isn't any conversation. Jesus says, in my presence, 
you're changed. You're no longer Simon. You're now Peter, which means the rock. Simon needed a new life, a new name. Maybe that's your story. Maybe you hear those words and you think, yeah, that's how it happened to me. I encountered Jesus and he changed everything about me. He renamed me. I've known many folks throughout my ministry who describe this kind of moment. A friend I've known for years described walking into a church one Sunday evening at the end of his rope in the throes of alcoholism, not expecting anything, but hoping for something. And he responded to an invitation to come and what he saw in Jesus that night changed him. It saved him. And he's held tight to that moment for over 30 years. And even though that's not the end of Peter's story by any means, we'll see that unfold more. It's pretty powerful transformation. But the writer of John knows that Peter's experience isn't everyone's experience. There isn't, this isn't the way that Jesus encounters all of the disciples. It's not the way Jesus encounters each of us. For some, it's immediate, and for others, it's incremental. And for some, it seems natural, and for others, it takes every bit of trust we can muster to even respond to the invitation just to come. As the text continues, Jesus goes to Galilee, and here Jesus seeks Philip out. Andrew and the unnamed disciple followed Jesus. They sought Jesus out, and Peter was found by his brother before uh, being brought to Jesus. But here Jesus goes and finds Philip and simply says, follow me. And Philip does. He begins the journey toward knowing and seeing and learning from Jesus. Philip, for some reason, hears Jesus's call and knows that he possesses the answer to the question, what do you seek? And he has the trust to respond. His story is more, go now. Ask questions later. Philip's story is an example for many of us of a faith that we receive and respond to eagerly. Maybe we've been raised in the church or it seemed like the natural or logical next right step. Perhaps Philip was just more in touch or or felt that deep longing within himself But still for others, we may feel a little suspect or even envious of Philip's immediate compliance. Well, our gospel writer isn't quite finished yet. The last call we witness here in the text is Nathaniel's. Nathaniel is a friend of Philip's. And after Philip encounters Jesus and he goes and he spends time with him, he goes and finds Nathaniel. He says, we found him. The one whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Philip tells him, we've been, we found the one we've been waiting for, the one who will bring a reign of never ending peace, the one who will forgive all of our wrongdoing, the one who is just and steadfast and a compassionate ruler. That's who Moses and the prophets wrote about. And we found him. 
And now Nathaniel, well, he has one of the more skeptical and sarcastic lines in scripture. And he other, utters the famous words, can anything good come from Nazareth? Ouch. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? A dumpy small town? I tried to come up with a comparison, but Nathaniel's so mean, I didn't want to offend anyone. <laughs> but Philip has spent some time with Jesus, and we don't know how long, but when Nathaniel throws this hurtful, doubting, judgmental line at him, Philip isn't hurt. His own trust and faith in Jesus aren't called into question, and I think that matters. Philip has spent enough time with Jesus himself to know that words alone are never going to convince anyone of who Jesus is and what he has to offer. Instead, Philip knows that Nathaniel has to come and see for himself. So that's his invitation. There's no expectation, only invitation and a promise. Come and see Nathaniel. Come and see yourself. And so Nathaniel receives Philip's invitation because, well, the text confirms that Nathaniel and Philip have a personal relationship. There is some built up trust there. So Nathaniel comes to see, imaginably rolling his eyes the entire way, not like any of us on our way to church or small group. And instead of our writer saying that Nathaniel sees Jesus, we read that Jesus sees Nathanael. He sees him coming first. And so Jesus speaks first and tells Nathanael exactly who Nathanael is. And he's shocked and he's puzzled. He says, Jesus, how do you know that? He said, I saw you under that fig tree long before Philip ever called you. I've known you all along. And all of a sudden, that feeling of being known for who you are, perhaps that's exactly what Nathaniel was seeking, to be known, truly known and accepted. And with this promise that Jesus knows more about Nathaniel than anyone could know, it disarms this skeptic. It moves this sarcastic, flippant friend of Philip's, and he suddenly becomes the disciple who confesses that Jesus is a rabbi, the son of God, and the king of Israel. The one who dismissed Jesus the most quickly in the whole succession of stories here, he is the one who most fully names out loud who Jesus is. Now that's transformation. And it came through an invitation, not an expectation for Nathaniel to be and live a certain way, but an invitation from Philip to come and see. Never underestimate the power of invitation. Because it may lead someone or even yourself to come and see if Jesus holds the answer to the question that lies within the heart of each of us. What are you after? What do you seek? 
What do you want? In each of these stories, each of our disciples is searching for something that is missing, that's lost in their lives, and each one of them, in one way or another, is found. Found and known by the one who stands before them. I remember when I was an undergraduate and I was reading Acts for class and I was taking New Testament because I love history and religion. I wasn't expecting to find anything except the answers to the questions my professor might ask the next day. But as I read, I came upon verse 20:24, And as I read the words, it was as if I was saying them myself. And instead of this excitement or relief, I was terrified. It was like I'd been trying to stay out of the spotlight that was chasing me on a dark stage, and finally the light hit me. And it was hard to see, but I knew I'd been caught. Luke writes, I do not count my life of any value. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. I, I do not count my life of any value. The longing of my life is to be found worthy, to have value, to matter. And as I read these words, they found me. There is nothing of value that I offer outside of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I'd been found and I finally saw the promise, the sea part. And each day I practice responding to that invitation and participating in the promise Jesus offers not only to me, but to all of us. Jesus doesn't tell us what we want. He asks the disciples. He asks us. The humbleness of his own ministry is a model for us. It is this humbleness that opens us to, the cur to curiously come and see, and it is equal humbleness that enables us to invite others to come and see. Sometimes that invitation hits us like a freight train. Sometimes it chases us. Sometimes we stumble upon it. Sometimes we disregard it, and sometimes we run from it. But when we do open ourselves, humble ourselves to come and see. Jesus will reveal to us that he himself is the answer to the question he asked. What do you seek? And when we do come and see who this Jesus is, we also come to see who we are, who we really are, beloved children created in God's image. We come to see that Jesus can meet the deepest longing of our soul can fulfill the deepest need in our hearts to be loved, to be known, to have worth, to be made new. Perhaps you've responded to this invitation and you know this promise very well. Perhaps you've come, but you haven't ever really opened your eyes to see Maybe you desperately want to come and see, or maybe you're the skeptic that has come, but you have so many questions. Wherever you find yourself, Jesus has a question for you. 
And it is a question that I think we should hold in our hearts throughout this season of Lent as we journey to the cross and to the empty tomb. What is it that we seek? What do we long for? What are we after? And to hear the words, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Come and see this morning as we celebrate at this table and you are physically invited to come. Come to this table and taste and see that what Jesus has to offer to us is good, truly good. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online once again at orangemethodist.org. Thank you.